So Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, if you have your Bible with you. And if you can see, maybe you have a cell phone light or so. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Our Father, we come to you as the Almighty. We come before you with joy and yet with fear and trembling. For you are a jealous God. You are the Holy One. And who would of himself dare to, to draw near to you? And yet in Christ we have free access through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. I pray that the God of hope through this word might fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. Amen. Here then again this evening the reading of God's word. Matthew 11 verse 28, Jesus speaking, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now just to give us some context on the reading, uh, as you probably know or might even well know, Jesus has just denounced, Jesus has just warned cities and people, he's preached, he's come to Israel and he's warned the people of Israel for rejecting him, especially the towns where Jesus preached the most and where Jesus made, you can call it his headquarters in Capernaum, and that we read in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus came from Nazareth, he went to Capernaum, and now in chapter 11, you can see in, from verse 20, Jesus began to denounce these cities where he had done most of his mighty works because they did not repent. They did not turn from their ways. And as you know, Jesus did many mighty works among these people. And so all these towns are the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, of, of the Lake of Galilee, where Jesus did these works and they would not repent. And Jesus says there's even more hope for Sodom and for Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for these cities. Or for Tyre and Sidon, by the way, who were pagan cities, Gentile cities. They did not have these privileges of having the Messiah come among them and preach the good news of salvation. And then after warning them, uh, I preached on this from the Gospel of Luke not too long ago, on the doctrine of election, God's sovereign election, where Jesus then breaks out in praise and this is strange because he's just told these cities you would not repent. You would not believe in me. And now he breaks out in praise and thanksgiving to his father in 11 verse 25 saying, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and, learned and you've revealed them to little children. And not meaning only children in, in age, but meaning people who are humble, people who bow the knee before Jesus Christ and will accept the teaching. And then verse 26, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And then all things have handed over, been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father 
accept the Son, or no, uh, the Son accept the Father, and the Father accept the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then suddenly you come to this verse. So this is the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. impression of me. Don't get a wrong idea of me. I'm the one who is gentle. I'm the one who is lowly. Don't think it's that I wish to push sinners away. No, it's rather the other way around that sinners push him away. And sinners will not come to the Son of God. And Jesus says, my arms are open. My arms are open for all to come. And if these arms are open for people who are lost, for people who are lost in their sins, people who are rebellious and hardened against God, and God comes and says, Come, all who are weary and heavy, heavy laden, turn to the Son of God. Then what about us tonight? What about the people of God? What about the sheep of Jesus Christ? Does Jesus not then a heart, have a heart for His own? And when we're suffering and going through trials like you are, Charlotte Lazelle, and any of us, those of you who have not even spoken of your trials and the things burdening you tonight, beyond, your Father just went to be with the Lord. And the heaviness in our hearts of trials and sufferings. This Jesus is gentle and lowly. This Jesus says, my arms are open for you to come. Come to me. That is all he requests. And he's not saying, come to my church. He's not saying, come to this pastor. He's not saying, come to this Veritas training course, in theological training, or come to this Bible study. Jesus is saying, come to me. Is the arm of Jesus Christ too short to help? Is the ear of Jesus too deaf to hear? He freely invites sinners to come. And there's a special class he's invited. Now I know he says all. And I think he means all. That's quite strange, isn't it? Because he's just spoken of election. I, I, don't, even, I don't even begin to imagine that I can understand. How can Jesus on the one hand say, He chooses whom He pleases. I reveal the Father to whom I choose. And the very next sentence He can say, Come to me all. It's a free invitation. I think I choose to believe both because they're both in Scripture. All who labor. Oh, you can just go back in, in the context of the Old Testament. These Jews know the Old Testament back to front. And they know that Israel, the Israelites, were slaves in Egypt. The Israelites were under heavy burdens in Egypt. And God has redeemed them. That's the great salvation in the Old Testament. God had redeemed them from slavery, from Egyptian slavery. He brought them through the Red Sea. He brought them through the desert. Given bread from heaven and water from a rock. Given them cloud by day so that they can have some shade from the desert sun. He'd given them fire by night, not only for light, but also for warmth. Given them all these privileges, they can come to Him. We know there were the priests and the sacrifices, where if they sinned, they could come and bring a sacrifice, or the priest would bring a sacrifice, and so on. So just think of that in the Jewish mind, and then you read verse 28 again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Just like they were heavy laden and the burdens of whips, being scourged, being lashed as slaves, carrying the heavy burdens of building for the glory of Pharaoh. And now Jesus comes. He 
because there's really something else. All of us know, I guess all of us know, everything that happened in Egypt, oh, that was just a little picture of slavery to sin, and slavery under the power of the devil. Oh, how Satan keeps his millions in his grip, and under his power, Bondage of sin, bondage of addiction. Often we say, we speak of addictions, I don't think that's such a good term. I don't think that's such a biblical or accurate term. Why? Because we act as if people who are enslaved to drugs or to alcohol or to pornography or people who are slaves of whatever kind of addiction, prescription medication. And yet Jesus says in John 8 verse 34, Jesus tells us, everyone who sins is a slave. So every unbeliever is in bondage. Every unbeliever is addicted to something. He's a slave of his own sin and he cannot break free. And that is what Egyptian slavery for the Israelites, that's just a picture of the real slavery that comes to Satan and sin. And Jesus now speaks to those people, all who labor and are heavy laden, who are crushed by a load of sin. Now for us as Christians, it might even be that, that sin is, it feels like sin has entangled you. And you're under the grip and you struggle to break, break free. Maybe you've backslidden. Maybe you've gone back to that old life. And it's promised pleasure, but Satan always deceives and sin always deceives. It never delivers the goods, does it? Promises pleasure. I just got a phone call from a guy not long ago, perhaps two or three weeks ago. And this guy spoke to me also about this very thing. And I told him, because he said, I've now got a choice to follow darkness or light. And darkness is promising the goods. And I said, don't follow. It's a lie. Isn't that what Satan said to Eve in the garden? You just eat of the fruit. You will be like God. You will have wisdom. And that was a lie. Did Satan deliver the goods? So if you're heavy laden and crushed, and even as a believer turned back, Jesus invites you and His arms are open and you know what those arms look like, don't you? You know what those hands look like, don't you? They are nail-pierced, nailed to a cross, open arms for sinners, inviting all to come. Did not Jesus say in John chapter 12, I think it's verse 31, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And when Christ is lifted up, arms open on a cross, aren't those arms open for a lost world? To say, come to the Lord Jesus. And even as a believer, turn back if you've backslidden. And let's go further. What about the believer who is with Christ? And he's walking with the Lord. And he's in a position like you are, my dear brother and my dear sister. You feel crushed under the burden of trials. If Jesus can save the worst sinner, can he not help the believer who is under trial and in difficulty? And even you, my friend, and my brother... Come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Oh, the laboring and the running in this world, the rat racing cartoon, the rat racing Western culture. And that's what the sermon would have been on tonight. The rat race, chasing money, chasing money, because that's what people live for. It's everything they think is going to make them happy, and it doesn't, doesn't. Because you get billionaires and they unhappy. they unhappy. One billionaire said, I've got, I've got the burden of $200 million. This was years ago. $200 million and I'm an unhappy man. 
I just told, I can't remember, I think it must have been maybe in family worship, maybe telling my children or Deirdre. Um, but these guys chasing after all these things. And uh, it was you, Tim. You and I spoke. And then you got a million. Does that make you happy? No, now you want two. Does that make you happy? Now you want five. Now you want ten. Now you want fifty. Now you want a hundred of them. Does it make you happy? Laboring, laboring, laboring. Maybe even laboring in good works. Laboring in religion, perhaps. Thinking if I'm just a religious person. Laboring, laboring, laboring. I will, I will please God. And God will accept me finally. Jesus says all of that is unnecessary. You're laboring. And maybe even laboring, running around like a chicken that's got its head cut. Running around because you're running from here to there. And I know how anxiety works. I've felt that. Anxiety, you feel anxious. Once you've got that done, then you're anxious about the next thing. Jesus says, stop. Stop. Come to me. Come to me. And we know this is by faith because we do not see Jesus but we know He's alive. We've experienced that and we've got the record of history well documented. The risen Christ, the Lord of glory, He's changed us. Come to me. Are you laboring? you heavy laden? Come to me and I will give you rest. That is a promise. I will do that. I hope none of us thinks that Jesus is alive. Jesus is the truth as I preached yesterday. I will give you rest. And I think that rest is not rest and luxury like the prosperity gospel thinks. And I'll call the luxury and just sit back and, and relax and it's a joyful ride to heaven. No, no. There are going to be trials still. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom, said the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. So there are going to be trials and tribulations and yet there's something... There's something in the trials and tribulations. My dear friends going through trials this evening. Now we got two especially a little boy here lost his grandfather. But but others of us, and I don't know everyone's trials, but when Jesus here says, I will give you rest, he does not necessarily mean restful circumstances. What he does mean is there's a rest that's deeper than your circumstances. Unbelievers can have restful circumstances too. Unbelievers can also be calm and peaceful. This is a breeze because things are going well for me now. The believer is different because there's a rest so deep, there's a peace that passes understanding, a peace that you cannot describe to someone. When you're in these trials, and yes, it's difficult, and yes, you're looking around and, and looking for help somewhere. Don't look around. Don't look for help around you. Look up. Look up. Isn't it so that when we flat on the ground, lying on your back, you have to look up? And Jesus now tells you, I will give you that kind of rest. We know that's what He means, because in John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, to the disciples, in the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So in those tribulations, in those trials, you can have rest. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul had? I and mean, here's the guy who's just been lashed by Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers do not lash like the Jewish authorities. The Jews lash you 40 lashes minus 1. They did 39 just to make sure they don't go over 40, because in Deuteronomy chapter 25, if I have it correctly, 
I think the first, first three verses, yes, first four verses, it says that when someone commits an offense and he needs to be lashed, he may not give more than 40 lashes. So what the Jews would do would, for, would be 40 minus 1. You find that in 2 Corinthians 11, for example, where Paul received those lashings a number of times. The Romans don't lash like that. The Romans beat you till they're tired. So one soldier takes the stick and they just beat you where they can. Be it over the, across the calves, if you turn and it's across the thighs, across the back, anywhere. And they would tie you to a pole with a, a leather strap and then start uh, lashing you or beating you with a stick. And the one soldier's tired, the next one takes over. So here's Paul and, Bar uh, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They've been, they've been beaten like that in the city of Philippi. They land in prison. And in Acts chapter 16 verse 25, you see Paul and Silas, midnight, they've got these wounds on their backs. And they, they're praising God. And they're singing psalms and they're praying. And then you know what happens, the earthquake comes, the, the, the bonds loosen, the chains, and the prison doors swing open, and the soldier comes, and eventually we know the rest of the story, their wounds get washed, and the prison guard gets saved, him and his whole family. That is the peace the rest Jesus is talking about. You're in prison, and you sing praise to me. My brother, the father is gone, Luki, the grandfather is with Christ, Charlotte Nazelle, with this trial you're going through, Jesus promises that kind of release. Not making the circumstances better first, but giving you rest in Christ in the circumstances. You can trust this one. And I think for the unbeliever, if you're sitting here tonight, you're not a Christian, maybe you're even a child. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet. You know about Jesus. You believe that He's God. But have you received Jesus as your Savior? Have you said, Jesus, will you be my Lord? I want to follow you. Lord is a big word that means boss. I want to follow Jesus. He tells me what to do in His Word. So it's this Jesus who says, I will give you rest. And that rest, if you just go to the next passage in chapter 12, Jesus speaks of the Sabbath. And the Jews, the Pharisees, they're really upset with Jesus because now Jesus hasn't kept the Sabbath. They're eating, picking corn on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says that if you go down to chapter 12, verse 8, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So what is he talking about in chapter 11 in our passage when he says, I will give you this. The Sabbath in the Old Testament was just a picture of the real rest that would come in Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 teaches that. You can go read it for yourself. Hebrews 4 verse 3. It says, it's by faith that we enter that rest. What happened to the Israelites? They did not believe. Therefore, they never entered the rest. Did Joshua give them rest in the promised land? They didn't find the rest. Why? Because they turned away from God, continually turning to idols. And God sent the judges. You remember that in the book of Judges? I think God's lifters. And in the book of Judges you find, and you'll see, and God raised up this judge and defeated the enemies, and the Israelites were rescued from their enemies, and the land had rest forever and ever, happily ever after. That's not what it says. The land had rest for 40 years. And then they turn away from the Lord again, worship idols, same story, repeat, next judge delivers them from the enemies, and the next thing you have, and the land had rest. For 80 years. 
And so it goes. There's never a complete rest where they can say, we're in the land of milk and honey. We can enjoy God's goodness and enjoy our God and worship Him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It doesn't happen. But then the New Testament comes. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes and finally He brings the rest. The rest of salvation. Hebrews 4 verse 8, Joshua didn't give them this rest. Verse 9 and verse 10, there remains a rest for the people of God. A Sabbath rest. And this is, this is what Jesus brings, what He says in this very verse. I will give you rest. Stop running around. You're going around in circles. Come to Jesus. Come to the Lord Jesus tonight. Come to Jesus who died for sinners on a cross. Who took the punishment of His Father. The anger of God. The judgment of God for sinners. <coughs> Find rest for your soul. You don't have rest. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you haven't been born again. Maybe you're a religious person. Maybe you're a church going person. But you don't know Jesus in a personal relationship. Maybe the fruit, the fruit of your life even shows that. The way you live. You're not following Christ as your Lord. And Jesus then tells you this very night in the darkness. Come to the light. Your conscience bothers you. And you try to drown it with whatever. Be it television. Be it sport. Be it women. Be it the romance of maybe men accepting you and you'll be happy if you have them. Maybe people around you. Maybe alcohol. Who knows? You don't have this. You're just trying to silence your conscience. And you'll never find rest. Because only the blood of Jesus can give us a clean conscience. Hebrews 9 verse 14. Hebrews 10 verse 20. And check it. Come to Christ. Why would you turn if his arms are open to you, find rest, find rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. You know what a yoke is, children? Luke? And who's with us tonight? Uh, I can't see to the back and it's dark. Is it Lindo? Yes. Okay, Lindo and who? Okay, so you guys. Do you know what a yoke is? A yoke is a very heavy piece of wood that they put on an ox's neck. You know what an ox is? It's a bull. Kind of a bull. <laughs> okay, so they put the yoke, the very heavy piece of wood, a wooden bar, on the ox's neck, and then there are two oxen, two, two cattle, two bulls. And they put it across, and then you put a leather strap and you pull it right to the back, or maybe even two more sticks, and then you've got a, a, piece of, a piece of iron or metal that's called a plow. You know what a plow is? When you plow the ground, because you want to plant mealies, or maybe plant corn, and so the oxen pull the plow. Jesus says here, take my yoke upon you. What does Jesus mean? When He says, I've got this heavy, what do you think? Ah, the cross! Jesus, of course, tells us to take up our cross. That's right, Luke. So take up your cross. It doesn't mean you have to carry a piece of wood with you. 
It means you must be willing to follow Jesus Christ, because Jesus did carry a real piece of wood on his, on his shoulders and went to the cross. He died on the cross, nails through His hands and feet, and He died to take away our sins and to give us eternal life and to forgive our sins. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, bow your knee before me as your Lord, and follow me as your Lord. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, I just read it this week, it says we should keep His commandments. And His commandments are not heavy. Jesus doesn't lay heavy burdens on His children saying, I want you to do this, suffer. Jesus says, I will help you. It's my yoke. It's my yoke. Actually, how this works is you would take an old ox and a young ox. So the old ox is strong and experienced. He knows how to work on the farm. Excuse <coughs> me. And then you bring a new ox so he can learn from the old ox. You put all the weight of the yoke on the old ox. This part of the yoke only rests very lightly on the young ox. So the old ox is pulling away and working and pulling the plow. And the young ox just walks along and he learns from the old ox. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I did it all. I paid it all on the cross. Just walk with me. Just stay by my side and learn from me. I will teach you. I will teach you the path of obedience, the path of doing my Father's will, the path of pleasing the Father. And actually, we know that Christ did it all. And even that thing, even sanctification, even learning the life of obedience is the work of God in and through us. Does not Philippians 2 say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will, as well as to work according to His good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So just walk with me. And then he says in verse 29, here's why. Here's why I want you, or here's why I say it this way, take my yoke. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Is that still Jesus' heart for us today? How do I know it's still Jesus' heart? Because Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, so His heart for us, He's the unchanging God. His heart for you and me remains the same. He's gentle. And He's gentle for our brothers and sisters going through trials. And obviously He's gentle for each of His children. Is He not? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I just want to go there for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Or uh, chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Do you sometimes have a view of God where you think of God as hard? All of us do that at times, don't we? Think God is hard and merciless. God just wants to make things difficult and He likes to put us through pain. Or maybe you don't think that He likes to do that, but you think that's what He often does. If my Bible says, I am gentle. He does not say, I show gentleness. He says, I am. That is my character. That is my nature. That is the way I act. 
in Psalm 119, I love this verse. Psalm 119. I just need to find the verse. I've marked it in my Bible. Psalm 119, verse 132. God says, turn to me, and, or the psalmist prays to God, turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. I wrote in my Bible, to be gracious is God's normal way of working with His children. As is your way, graciousness, kindness. I am gentle and lowly. You know the I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. I am the vine, I am the bread of life. And that I am, of course, goes back to Exodus chapter 3. I am who I am. When God says something, He means it. And He wants us to trust. Do not doubt God's promises. God desires that you believe Him. I am Jesus. I am lowly in heart. And obviously the word heart you and I understand doesn't mean the vessel pumping blood through your body. In the Bible, uh, mostly when, we, when, when He uses the word heart, what the Lord means is the inner man, the, the fountain of your whole being. All your actions, all your words, all your thoughts spring from the heart. Proverbs 4 verse 23, Matthew 15 verse 19. And so I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I am so in the core of my being. I am a gentle Savior. And we know that is exactly how the Father is. I preached this yesterday. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus reveals the Father. This is the Father's heart for you. And I know it's difficult, especially if you have maybe a hard father, or maybe a father who is distant, or maybe a father who was overstrict, overbearing, maybe an absent father, maybe your father died when you were young, you didn't have a father figure. Well then come to God the Father. Because God the Father is like His Son, gentle and lowly in heart, and applies all of that by His Spirit. And then again, a repeat, you will find rest. Why in the world does Jesus repeat that? He wants you to get the point. He could have said it once, he doesn't. He says it twice. It's almost like in Galatians 1 verse 8 and 9, where Paul says, if anyone preaches a different gospel, even if it be a different gospel from what we preach the apostles, even if it be, if it be an angel from heaven, let him be a curse, let him be anathema. I say again, as I said before, if anyone should preach a different gospel, let him be a curse. So Paul says it twice. Why? For emphasis. And why here? Jesus says twice, you will find rest. <coughs> Did you get that? You will find rest. Did you get that? You will find rest. So Jesus underlines it. He marks it in red. He wants you to see. You will find rest if you come and cast your burden on the Lord for He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous, permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 55 verse 20. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you, 1 Peter 5 verse 6. I think what often keeps us from this is pride. It's pride. We think, I'll deal with this. I'll make it happen. I need to make it work. And we don't make it work. We fail. Come to the Lord and say, I can't do this. Cast my burden on the Lord. And I don't just think it's pride. I know it's pride. Not only from experience, but from the verse. Because in 1 Peter 5 verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Next verse. 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be careful, Satan will come and try his luck. But don't be discouraged, your brothers throughout the world go through these kinds of trials, 1 Peter 5 verse 9. And I'm not quoting that one exactly, you can go check it or find it. But the point I'm trying to make is, don't try and bear the burden alone, you can't. I can't. We're not superhumans. So we can come to the Lord and cast it on Him and find rest for your souls, for the inner man. Not only for the body, the body also needs rest. But deeper than that, sometimes the body is restful, but inside there's a flood, there's a storm raging. Either with sin or either with trials and anxieties. Bring it to Christ. Bring it to Christ. And in the final verse, verse 13, For my yoke is easy, and my burdens are. I'm not going to lay burdens on you. I'm not going to weigh you down. I've done it all. And again, it's almost a repeat again. I've done it all. The yoke is easy, my burden is light. And that's what you find, for instance, in Psalm 81, verse 6 again. The same thing referring back to the Israelites in Egypt. It says, the Lord says to to his people, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. I saved you from Egypt. I saved you from the power of Satan. I saved you from the power of sin. And can I not help you in your trial? And I know, maybe you've been calling and calling and says, but it doesn't seem the Lord is not. Take no rest, give him no rest in the world. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 62, verse 6 and, 7, 6 and 7. Oh, you who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give Him no rest until He makes Jerusalem to be a praise of all the earth. Now, that was in that particular circumstance. Same principle of Christ. So may the Lord give us grace. And we will do that and trust the gentle. Our Father, oh how we need your mercy, your magnificent, marvelous, matchless love. Forgive us for doubting you, Lord. I think no one present can say that we've always trusted as we ought and we should. Forgive us for our little faith. Forgive us for being like Thomas. Wanting some more evidence before we believe. And yet the evidence is overwhelming. The tomb is empty. Christ has risen from the dead. Christ has appeared to the witnesses. They've all witnessed. They've seen the same thing. And yet again we come and say, Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us anew by the blood of the Lamb. And give us grace to move forward. Not in our own strength but in the strength and the courage and the grace and the mercy and the fullness of hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.